All right, time to invite the kids to come on up front, have a seat on the floor right up here. We're not going on the stage today. We're going to sit right down here. So if you're a fifth grade or so and under, you can come on up and have a seat. Bring somebody with you if you'd like. All right, come on over. Find somewhere to sit. All right, good to see everyone this morning. Okay, now last week we began the Advent season when we anticipate Jesus' coming or his arrival, right? Advent. We think about Jesus coming at Christmas time. And so we lit the first candle, which we'll do again, Talia, light the first candle of our Advent wreath. Who remembers what that first candle was called? Go ahead and say it. Good. Expectation candle, right? Because the people of God expected or they believed that a Savior was coming, right? And so we have the expectation candle. So today we're going to light the second candle called the prophecy candle. Everybody say prophecy candle. All right. So Talia light that second candle, the prophecy candle. Does anybody know what the word prophecy means? That's a tough word. Do you know? It's a tough one, isn't it? Dean? Yeah, th- predicting things that are coming in the future. Good. It's a prediction of something to come or a telling of something that will happen in the future. Good. And so the people of God believed that a Savior would be coming because it had been predicted. There were many places in the Old Testament that told about these, that made these predictions where this prophecy was recorded. Many of the prophecies told of where the Savior would come from. Many of them told how the Savior would come. And many told about when he would be coming. In the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are too little among the clans of Judah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And so this verse tells us that a ruler, a king, was going to be coming, and it's going to be coming from the city of Bethlehem. Do you know who was born in the city of Bethlehem? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus was, right? So this king, this ruler, Jesus, was coming from the city of Bethlehem. And so that's one example of the prophecy about the coming Savior. And there's lots more of them throughout the Old Testament, lots of places that tell us about the coming Savior. So the first candle we lit was called what? Expectation Expectation candle, because the people of God believed they expected a Savior was coming. And the second one that we lit today was called? prophecy candle because the Old Testament predicted the coming of the Savior Jesus. Good. Thanks for coming up and helping. You can go back and have a seat. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Good job, kids. Uh, We are going to be in the book of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Uh, You'll notice that there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. We had a young man this week in our church who wanted to make sure that every seat had a Bible so that if anybody needed a Bible, they could take it home with you. And so we have a young man paying for all of that this week. It's really one of the most encouraging things I've heard. It was really, really, really cool. So if you need a Bible, take it. Uh, If you don't, 
take it. Uh, we want you to have scripture. But really, if you have a Bible at home, bring it with you. That, we, we want that. If you're a believer and you have a Bible, bring it with you. Use your own Bible. But if you need one, you can have it. All right, Luke uh, 1, 26 to 38. This is uh, the beginning, or last Sunday was the beginning of the season of Advent. Our Christian calendar is typically broken up into important seasons, and the first season on the Christian calendar is Advent. It's the four Sundays before Christmas. Advent is about the arrival, the appearance of Christ, and it is also a season of preparation. In Luke chapter 1, verses 17, we're told that before Christ, six months before Christ was born, another child was born. Uh, named John the Baptist, uh, called John the Baptist, and his role was to come before Christ to turn many of Israel to the Lord, to make ready uh, for the Lord a people prepared. So Christ is the Lord. John came to prepare them. And so the season of Advent typically in Christianity has been a season of preparation, where it's a time for us to come before the Lord and deal with sin. It's a time for us to prepare our hearts to worship God right. So the next four sermons, including Christmas Eve, which this year will be on December 24th. Um, that's pretty good. Huh? Like that? Uh, I lost my place completely. <laughs> uh, the next four sermons, including Christmas Eve, will be out of Luke 1 and 2, which is the truth of, the, of Christ's birth. And so we're going to start in 26 to 38. Let's read that now. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we we call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Israel, or relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Holy and glorious and happy Father, happy are all those who walk in your holy law and who seek your, seek your testimonies with all their heart. Assist us now by your Spirit to seek your word with all that we are, And then go from here and walking diligently in it by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might never be put to shame and that your great name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the author of this book along with the book of Acts, those are really 
uh, almost one entire book is Luke. Luke was a physician, a doc, turned co-worker of Paul and also an extraordinarily gifted historian. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote Luke and Acts. And you see in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, that he wrote them for a man named Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus. And then in verse 4, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So Theophilus was a Christian, and Luke wrote these books in order to confirm, in order to teach him more the truth of who Christ is and what Christ has done and the news of salvation. So Luke's gospel contains the longest account of Jesus' birth. Uh, it includes two very lengthy chapters, chapters 1 and chapter 2. And it begins with the birth of John the Baptist. You see that in uh, 1, 5 to 25. He came, as we said in verse 17, to prepare the way of the Messiah, to prepare the way of the Lord. And so there, uh, the child that's going to be born of Mary is called Lord already. And so you know that in Scripture, one of the things that's often denied is that Jesus is fully God. And yet, right in the beginning, even before Christ is born, he is named Lord. And that is because Christ is eternal, that we'll see in a moment. He has reigned forever as Lord. So, after the John the Baptist narrative, then we have the foretelling of uh, the Son of God's birth, of Christ's birth, to Mary by an angel. One of the things Luke is very uh, keen on is he wants to show that everything that was revealed in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. And so you'll see throughout our text, we'll... The text that we preached last uh, Sunday, 2 Samuel 7, 2 Chronicles 17, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Daniel 7. Uh, Luke is going to allude to these over and over and over again to show God's people that God's word can be trusted and that all of God's word is fulfilled in Christ. And so we'll see that. And ultimately, though, uh, this exists to show you, the people of faith, who Christ is. That's the point. And I hope you never tire of that. I hope you never tire of coming to a church and hearing again who Christ is because you have no salvation apart from him. And you and I are so weak in our faith that unless we continue to hear of Christ, be nourished on him, we will weaken and fail. And so we need to hear this again and again and again. So an angel named Gabriel, same angel that talked to Elizabeth, came to uh, Mary, it says in the sixth month. That note of time there is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, he is one who stands in the presence of God in verse 119. And we understand what an angel is in verse 26. An angel is one sent from God with a message. That's it. Right? Another way to say it is an angel uh, can't save you. An angel is no Messiah. An angel is no Savior. And so we don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels. Um, we worship God. And because angels are always coming and telling us about him. That's why in the book of Hebrews, if you're familiar with it, the author tells us very plainly uh, that angels have never been called the son of God. You know who that privilege is for? Jesus and us. <laughs> right? Jesus and us. So this angel comes to Mary, and, uh, and we have some details of to, to where and to whom he comes in verses 26 and 27. He comes to a city of Galilee that, if you would look at Isaiah 9-1, as Pastor Jeff said, was a backwater, bywater, small, uh, insignificant place in Israel. 
It was a place that thought nothing good could come from. It was a place in Isaiah 9 that is in darkness. Uh, They are spiritually darkened by their proximity to Gentiles. And God revealed through the prophet Isaiah that a great light, the Savior, would come from that land. And so the angel comes uh, from God to a city in Galilee to a place called Nazareth. And he comes to a virgin. In Isaiah 7.14 we read, that the virgin would be with child. And we see the name of this young lady named Mary. Now, one of the questions you should ask yourself is, why do we have the names? Why does Luke, this many years afterward, give us names? Well, because Mary, you could go and talk to her. Luke was sending this letter out to Theophilus and many others, and if you wanted to verify, go check it out. Go up to Nazareth, see if this is true. Go talk to Mary, see if this is true. Luke is very keen on giving us lots of names, so you can go check it out for yourself. We know that Mary was young, she was poor, uh, and she uh, was betrothed to a man named Joseph. House of David, we're, we're noted again. We have more fulfillment of previous scripture that Jesus would reign on a throne, God's son would reign on his throne of David. And so Luke is, um, takes care to note the lineage that Jesus would have. Now, we have to be careful here. Mary is not to be worshipped. Mary is just a human being like us, a sinner in need of a savior that she would give birth to just like us. Uh, in fact, the angel greets her with this greeting in verse 29, uh, greetings or hail, O favored one. And unfortunately, the Roman Catholics had turned a simple greeting into a blasphemous prayer. Right? This is where you get a hail Mary from, and which ought never to be prayed and ought to be repented of if you do it. Mary can do nothing for you. Her son can. He's the Savior. So Mary was engaged, betrothed to be Joseph. Joseph in Matthew 119 is called the righteous man. And I want to pause here a second. This kind of a text is a threat to our world today because this kind of a text is a reminder that young men and young women largely, numerically, are created in order to find somebody of the opposite sex, commit to them, and marry them. Right? In our age, we prolong dating. We date forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We shack up together. We... Uh, enjoy all of the bliss of marriage and sexual intimacy before marriage, and God's word here stands opposed to that. So if you're a young man, Joseph should be your model. Right? Now, not all of you are going to be married. Some of you are given the gift of self-control sexually, and so you're not going to get married. But those of you who aren't, uh, Joseph was a young man. He's a carpenter. He worked with his hands, and he uh, committed to a young woman. And so young men, there's lots of beautiful, godly young women in our church, and they're just waiting for you to get your act together and put a ring on their finger, right? And I am, I am dead serious there. What are you waiting for, young men? For goodness sakes, right? You know why what Joseph is doing here? He's exercising faith. It takes faith to do what Joseph is doing. He's smiling. I see you. Yeah. Right? It takes faith to do this. Because it's work. 
It's work to marry a woman. You, you become responsible. You have to provide. You have to work hard. You have to lead. And so young men, you should do this. And young women, you should be looking for a guy like Joseph and praying for him. Don't settle. All right, so uh, we did all that. All right, so then he comes with this message. She greets her. Mary's troubled at it because she doesn't, as you would be, an angel shows up to you with this meeting. And uh, he comes with a message. First message is, the Lord is with you. And then after that, he comes with this message. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now that favor there isn't that Mary is sinless and deserving of salvation. This is just simply God's grace. God is being very gracious. And this message of God's favor is that she will conceive in her womb and bear a sin, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so this young, poor woman from a uh, ignored small town on the fringe of a country, would conceive of God's Son. Again, this is a threat to our world. 85% of unmarried mothers end their pregnancies by abortion in our country today. Mary's dad in our day would probably push for an abortion because she's got her whole life ahead of her. She's got college. Right? This child would hinder the progress of this man's young daughter, and she would do it. She'd have friends who would push her. It's your body. Do with your body what you want to do. You should assert your femininity by taking control over your body. It's just a clump of cells anyway. Shout your abortion. Reject all those patriarchal, male-centric, barbaric notions and shout your abortion. But God determines to save the world through the womb of a woman. (laughs) And as Christians, we should rejoice in pregnancy. You know I've said it, and I'll keep saying it. Have babies. Have lots of them. The question should be, how how few? (laughs) Have as many as you possibly can. You want to be different in our world today? Have lots of children. We were watching Home Alone the other night. And you can't hardly be a Christian without watching that during the Christmas season. It's much better than those, um, or those Hallmark movies. You knew I was going to get there. <laughs> Anyways, it was very strange watching it because you have a, a married man and a woman with five children. You don't see any shows like that anymore. That was in 1990. You maybe have a married couple, but just one obligatory child. We should love pregnancy. We should love children. So Mary's going to have a child. And uh, then the angel goes on to describe a lot about this child. So that's where we're going to camp here. Who, who is this child? Who is this child? Well, he's going to be male. Uh, there is such a thing as sex, and God assigns it. The child born of Mary is going to be a boy. He would be conceived in his mother's womb and knit together. That is, this child is really going to be a human. He's the, there's an ancient heresy of, um, that Jesus 
wasn't really human. He was just a spirit appearing in human form. Not so. He was going to be conceived in his mother womb and go through all the growth and birth process just as every other human. In fact, at one point, the um, ancient heresy that was propagated that is Arianism, and a Christian bishop once punched Arius in the face for propagating that heresy. And, and so that's good news. You should do things like that when people deny the humanity of Christ. Um, I think that's very Christian, <laughs> by the way. What's that? Yeah. When, they deny, when, when they're a teacher in the church and they deny something essential to saving sinners. No, 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 don't do that. Yeah, if you're arrested, I, you don't know my number. And, and the angel tells the name. You shall bear a son, a male child, and you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. In Matthew 121, Joseph is told the same thing. And we get this little editorial note. You should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he has this name. It should liken you back to the Old Testament. Joshua, he is the one who will lead his people out of slavery to sin and into God's eternal kingdom. He is our Savior. You and I are sinners born at enmity with God, and we will perish apart from God in hell without intervention from the outside. And that intervention is a little boy who would grow to be a man who would hang on the cross in the name of Jesus because he will save you from your sins. You're a sinner. You know you are. Just recollect over this morning or last week, you have committed offenses against the holy God. You are deserving of eternal punishment because your sin is against an eternal God. And who is going to save you from that? There's only one. His name is Jesus Christ. Your holiday decorations won't do it. Your treating family members that you'd rather not be around well won't save you from your sins. Your attendance at a big, beautiful building at a new church will not save you from your sins. There is only one salvation from your sins, and it is Jesus Christ. So if you're not a believer, if you do not believe this, I would urge you to turn from your sins and put your hope in Christ. There's no magical formulation to pray. There is just a faith exercised in this one name, Jesus So he'll be named Jesus, and we know that he will be great in verse 32. He will be great. Now, moms all think their children is this, right? (laughs) You've seen babies that are ugly, right? No mom thinks so. Every mom thinks their baby is the greatest, and rightfully so. But there's only one who would be great. There's only one child born of a woman who would be greater than all others, and his name is Christ. We remember after his resurrection, after his ascension, he is given a name that is above all names, the name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. That is, there is only one person ever born of a woman that everyone in the world will eventually say, he's Lord. Presidents want this, kings want this. Little tyrants in the home want this, but only one will be deserving of it, and it's Jesus. 
He will be great. He is great. He's done it. He sacrificed himself. He was put dead in a grave. He rose from the dead. He ascended on high. And he is the greatest. He is the goat. There is none like him. And I just say, do you take that with you in all of your events of life? When you go to work, when you're dealing with whatever you deal with in your workplace, you remember that? Jesus Christ is great. He is above all. I am living for his glory here on Monday morning at 9 a.m. in my workplace because he is great. And he is the son of the most high. Now one of the ancient heresies here is that uh, they say that Jesus at this point for the first time becomes the son of God. He hadn't been the son of God before this. He maybe didn't even exist before this. But at this point, at his birth maybe, he actually becomes the son of God. That, that he hasn't always been this. But notice that it says he will be called this. This is just referring to what has always been reality. Why has God, throughout the entire Bible, been referred to as Father? Because he's always had an eternal son. The son of God. He is simply calling this child what he has always for eternity been. God's eternal son. So Jesus Christ has no beginning, and he will have no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the uncreated creator who is born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. He is a son of a woman, and he is a son of God. And if that does not blow your mind, this is what our world thinks us so stupid for. If you believe things like this, if you believe that a virgin actually conceived, and if you believe that she actually conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and if you believe that the one conceived in her womb is fully God and fully man, you're just a corn poke. You're what's wrong with this world. Right? You're a redneck. You're a fool. You'll never get your papers published if you go public with this. People will smile at you and, you know, the kind of smile that, like, oh. like it's not even worth debating with you because it's so dumb. You're so dumb. They might think you otherwise intelligent, but how could somebody who seemingly is that intelligent think something like this? If you want to be irrelevant in this world, hold fast to this. You, you are an unscientific uh, simpleton for believing things like this. And if you do not believe this, you will not go to heaven. <laughs> if you do not believe this, you will end up in eternal hell. If this is not what you bank your life upon, these truths, the, these are the essential foundational confessions of a believer. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, conceived in the womb of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. If you deny any of that, you are not a Christian. You can be a Jehovah's Witness, you can be a Mormon, you can be a Muslim, but you are not a Christian. You cannot 
be Christian and deny any of that. And if you affirm it, you cannot be anything important in this world. So go for it. Believe it. It's glorious. It's wondrous. It's amazing. The faith that we confess is better than the Chronicles of Narnia. This is amazing. A woman, a virgin, conceiving a child who is God and man by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Amazing. Simply astounding. And he would be great, son of the Most High, be a king on his father's throne, reigning on, over the house of Jacob forever, a kingdom with no end. That's who that child is. This is missionary impetus right here in verses 32 and 33. Jesus would come from an ethnic tribe of Israel, and his kingdom would extend forever. There's missions. That's why you should take this perspectives course. Because you need to know our part in God's work of saving this world by the preaching of the gospel. And we should also know this gospel is deeply political and it's deeply politically divisive. Please do not continue to repeat the mantra that too many Christians are uh, repeating that Christianity should be not, uh, not political. When Jesus Christ was born of a woman, and it said he'll sit on a throne, and he will have an unending kingdom, what is he but a political ruler? And you know that if a political ruler comes in the midst of other rulers and says, I'm going to reign forever, there's warfare. You kill somebody like this, which they did. Why was Jesus killed? Because he's a political threat. Our gospel is a gospel of world domination. Jesus comes to reign. He doesn't do it with swords. He doesn't do it with political maneuverations. That's not a word. Um, He does it by dying on a cross and raising from the dead. And by sending us to preach this gospel so that men and women and children turn to Christ and are saved. And that's how he's going to save. That's how he's going to rule through this gospel. It, it, it's a, another way to say it, it's, in one sense, it's easy to conquer a country with warfare and weaponry. It's ultimately impossible, apart from God, to conquer by this message and faith. God always does it the hard way, doesn't he? So he gets all the glory. In our day, we have two false Christs, right? Self and federal government. Whatever you want, whatever you think is true for you, if you're a man and you want to be a woman, fine. You're king of your own little kingdom. And if you need anything... Just call on good old Uncle Sam. He'll provide it for you. You need heat, he'll give it to you. You need food, he'll give it to you. You need education, he'll give it to you. He's your Lord. And Christians say, no. 
Jesus is Lord. We will bow no knee to self. We will bow no knee to anything else, government included. Jesus is Lord. Mary, in verse 34, responds to all this with a question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Zechariah asked a similar question in verse 18. His was a doubting question. Mary's is a asking just simply how God will do it. And she's answered. The angel tells her, he doesn't give her details. He just tells her God's going to do it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The word overshadow is a very tender word. She didn't, she didn't perceive God's coming or his going here. But God would do it. Only God could do it. And because God would do it, this child would be called holy. This is so central to the gospel. You and I and every other human being born through the conception of a father and a mother are not born holy. In Ephesians 2, we read that we are born enslaved to sin. We are born dead spiritually. We have no life spiritually. We are alive physically, and we are dead and separated from God spiritually. Every human being that's true for, except for one, Jesus Christ. Because he was born of God, he is holy, unlike us. And because he was born of a woman, he is born in flesh, just like us. And these two things are essential for you and I to be saved. We need one who can represent us before God as man. And we need one who can represent us before God and is holy and so he can take our sin. That's Jesus. And so you can entrust yourself to him because he is just like you. And yet he has not sinned. And he is the son of God. He shall be called holy, the son of God. Jesus then has two natures. He's eternally divine, and he is now eternally human. It isn't like he's half human and half God. It isn't like it's all jumbled up inside of him. He's God, and he is man. And this is our hope. We have great confidence because he is God and man. We can call God Father because though Because God's son chose to be our brother, so our brother's father is now our father. You get that? And so for all of you who have been fatherless, for all of you who have had a father who is absent, for all of you who have had a father who is distant or critical, he did the best he could, don't hold it against him. Don't nurse the bitterness. Forgive him. Move on. But you have a father because Christ is your brother. You too, in Christ, are called God's son. And then in verse 36 and 37, the angel gives Mary great reassurance. He cites the example of Elizabeth. So Elizabeth was Mary's relative. She was two things. 
She was old and so past childbearing age. And she had never been able to bear children. She was barren. And yet, she is six months pregnant. (laughs) And you know, throughout the Bible, you hear of these barren women uh, bearing children. It's one of the major ways God brings his people salvation through unlikely births. And so right again, at the high point of God's saving work, at the, at the pinnacle, the climax of God's saving work, give these two miraculous births. A woman past childbearing age who's been barren all life, six months pregnant, and a virgin, <laughs> unmarried, never having sex with a man, conceiving. Another way to say it is, to whom does your salvation belong? God. To whom does it not belong? You. You do not save yourself. God has done everything, even miraculous births, in order to bring about your eternal salvation. Can I just say it again? Childbearing is a glory. It is a delight. So young women, if I can urge you, Make it your goal to marry and have children. Use your life preparing to bear children and raise them in the Lord. Our world is convincing you that you should be preparing for everything but that. You should prepare to live a life on your own. You should prepare to get a good education. You should prepare to have a lifelong career. Our world is saying... Do all of that, but never consider getting your life and your body and your mind and your soul and your finances in order to bear children. Go to college, rack up tens of thousands of dollars of debt, delay marriage, and then have your children, and then have to work the rest of your life not raising your own children because of you never prepared beforehand to have children. And here, right at the center of our salvation is childbearing, and it is a glory. Don't ever let this world convince you that childbearing is anything but. It is a glory. It is a worthy, worthy calling from God that you should give your life to. It is a wonderful, beautiful, glorious thing. And so the conclusion to all this, the conclusion, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And what is that a reference to? Your salvation. You remember one time before Jesus was with the disciples and Jesus was criticizing some of the leaders and then the disciples said, well, then who can be saved? Remember Jesus' answer? With man, it's it's impossible. But with God, it's all things are possible. So can you be saved? Yeah, because God is saving you. Will you be saved until the end? Yeah, because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, the day of Jesus Christ. And you can take that home, okay? It's not just about this big eternal salvation. That's what it's mainly about. But it's also about your life. That's what Mary was supposed to take home with her. 
she was going to go through nine months of pregnancy as a virgin, young, poor woman. (laughs) If you've been married to a pregnant woman or if you yourself have been pregnant, you know how hard that is, right? And you know the shame, maybe. And the only thing Mary is able to take home with her is this, nothing is impossible with God. So take that home with you. Take that home to your marriage. Take that home to the holidays when you're going to be around people that maybe you don't want to be around. Take that home to your financial mess. Take that home to your illness. Take that home to your very difficult parenting. Take that home to your co-worker that you desperately want to see to come to Christ or your uh, rebellious, grown child that you want to see come to Christ. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responds with this model of just regular, simple Christian faith. She says two things. I am God's slave. I am the slave of the Lord. That's what we are. That's all that we are, brothers and sisters. God can do to us whatever he wants to do. That's what Mary's saying. I am a vessel created by God for whatever God wants. That's all that Mary's saying there. You say that? What if God does call you to be missions, to missions, to be a missionary, to go to a, a people who have not yet heard the name of Jesus? You, you've been following this John Chow guy who was killed, went to the island to try to share the gospel? He just said, I, I'm a slave of the Lord. He is to be emulated. What if God's doing that to you? Or you can apply this again. Marriage, parenting, working, hard things in your life. We, we are just God's slaves. And then, let it be to me according to your word. Mary is held up in the Bible as a foremost example of regular, simple Christian faith. This is not extraordinary faith. This isn't like a cut above faith. This isn't elite faith. This is just regular, ordinary, feet on the ground, simple, young woman, faith in God. Just let it be to me as you want God. It's just just the simplest definition of faith, taking God at his word. That's what it means to be Christian. God's word to Mary is very difficult. It's very hard. She's got future husband, future dreams, and she's just giving herself completely over to the Lord. Will you? Will you just give yourself completely over to the Lord? And I'm talking about in little ways. Will you serve at Pine Grove cleaning? May may it be to me as you would want God. Will you serve the Lord, husbands, by being tender with your wife and helpful to her? May it be to me as you've said, God. Wives, will you submit to your husband and not nag him? 
May it be to me as you've said, Lord. Children, will you honor your parents and do what they say right away? Happy heart. Right? Because God is saying to you as children, and your response is, may it be to me as you've said, Lord. Will you share the gospel with your friends? This is a calling from Christ. May it be to me as you've said, Lord. Will you honor the Lord with your finances? Will you not go into debt with foolish Christmas gifts? May it be to me as you've said, Lord. Can you take that home with you? Will you live this out? It's, it's one thing to make great, big, huge plans that you'll never fulfill and pat yourself on the back. It's another thing to take this line from Mary, may it be to me as you've said, Lord, home with you, Monday with you, workplace with you. As this is what God is looking toward, ordinary, regular faith from God's people because we have an extraordinary Savior. Let's pray. Father, praise you for preserving in your word uh, this truth of how your son came to be man. He is great. He is son of the most high. And he is a human son born to bear our sins. We praise you for him. We ask that you would grant us, verse 38, that we would Live the reality that we are nothing but your slaves, your servants to be commanded. And that we would, as you reveal in your word, in your written word, just live according to it. Just let it be to us as that. Would you grant us that simple, ordinary, regular faith and grant it in our daily lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The charge deals with hospitality. We, a few weeks ago, did a couple of sermon series on hospitality. I want to commend you. I've heard you've been doing good things with that. But in light of God becoming man, God coming to us, God treating us so graciously, I want to charge you to continue to practice hospitality during this Christmas season. Invite people over. Invite them out. Do it now. After the service, uh, you should have somebody over for something this week and probably after this service. Please. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and believing these wondrous truths we have seen in God's word this morning so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound into hope during this Christmas season. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.